So good evening, everybody. Welcome. Um, delighted to be here. It's been a while since I've preached uh, in Mshlonga. If you're wondering who I am, it's fine. I'm wondering who you are. So together we are wondering what's going on. So there we go. Um, yeah, we, 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 we're in this uh, Alpha, and I'd love you if you've never done Alpha to get involved and to sign up and all that kind of stuff, do all the right things, tick the boxes so that you can go to heaven when you die. <laughs> Just kidding. Just tick, checking here. So um, we're in this, this series about, about the miraculous to the Syrophoenician woman. Before I get there, I just want to take a moment and just speak. How's your COVID been going? How's your, this last uh, six, seven months of life? Hasn't it been crazy? It's been, and you know, I don't know how, what, what to make of it. And, and you know, the world is just seems to have uh, been turned on its head, as it were. For Christy and I, there have been some highs and lows, and I'm sure as you sit there, there have been some highs and lows, and we just really want to recognize and just validate some of, them, some of you who may have experienced real hardship through sadness. People have lost jobs. Some people have passed away from the, the effects of, of the virus. Um, and so this, it really has been that time, and, and I just thought before I preach, I, I want to kind of just acknowledge that. When I was thinking about when some of our highs and lows, just when we were allowed to do exercises during COVID, Christine, my wife, of the past 40, some hundred years, and um, she tripped and fell and broke her ankle. And it wasn't fun because you had, she had, had to have surgery and, and you had to go to the hospital and you couldn't go with her and all that kind of stuff. It was crazy. The, then she came back and she was in crutches for, I think, I don't know, five weeks and uh, six weeks before she could, you know, you just walk with only one crutch. And I, we we a, a, a kind of an upstairs, a double sort of thing of apartment that we're living in. And um, I had to take the bed, put it in the lounge. I did the washing, the cleaning, the cooking, the shopping, the cleaning, the shopping, the washing, the cleaning. I have a whole new respect for people who do washing and cleaning. <laughs> I mean, it, anyway, but she's fine now. Some of the houses that we moved into a flat in Westbrook, and I got to see the ocean every day. And, uh, and that was just refreshing because that's where God speaks to me is from the ocean. So that was brilliant. How's it been for you? And I just thought we could just pause and pray a moment and just say, God, you know what? There's been sadness. I, I know. I, I've been to one or two funerals during this past uh, six months and I've heard of others. And so, Father, we just pause at the start of the service tonight as we acknowledge the change of our world, even as we sit in this building with social distancing and stories that go through our minds and our hearts as we think about the past six months of our lives and the life of this globe, this world in which we live, the crazy times. And as we think about these things, Father, may we have the grace and the faith to bring them to this place of, of surrender before Jesus our Lord as we speak about the miraculous Christ. We thank you for that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, it's great seeing so many familiar faces here tonight, and that's also really cool, well, half faces anyway. This series, Miraculous, I've, I've loved what our team have been doing with the series. They have, um, they've kind of brought to our attention the miracles of Jesus, but more than that, the transformational element that takes place within the miraculous. You know that everybody that Jesus, Jesus, there are three accounts in the, in the Gospels of Jesus raising people from the dead. 
But the, the reality is that all three of those people died again. That's a bit of a disappointment, hey? You die, you get resurrected, and you die again. And, uh, and I realized that, you know, not, not everybody got healed. Not everybody who was alive was healed. And, and those who were healed eventually also passed away. It's like, it's like these miracles were not to necessarily just alleviate suffering. The miracles were, were there to kind of to move us towards something that is, that is all-powerful, that's something that is wonderful, that is the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the miracles were all about. And I think our team have done a, a great job about talking about that transformational experience of, 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 of being impacted by, by Jesus himself, by the person of Christ. And tonight we've got a special one. I don't know if you were ever one of those people who've, who's been left out. You know, I, I have a friend who used to phone me like at about half past one on, the, on a Saturday afternoon and invite me to rugby. When you get a call at half past one, two hours before kickoff, you know that everybody else said they couldn't go and, and, and you're getting the late call up. You know what I mean? You just, you know, that's the deal. Or those situations where you're picking up teams or you're choosing teams to play a game of cricket or rugby or soccer, whatever it is that you play, and you are the last selected. In fact, you aren't even selected. There are a couple of you at the end of the selection process. Oh, you go there and you go there. They just know you're useless, and now they're just pushing you aside. I, I, I was the youngest of, 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 of my, um, my parents, um, their children, my cousins. I was the youngest. And it would seem at a certain age of life that my older cousins took great joy in leaving me out. So I'm deeply scarred. And I carry deep wounds with this and need a lot of healing from the rejection as a child. And anyway, I'll just push through tonight. <laughs> but, but I want to share a story with you tonight that has the ability to cause such discomfort and such put us in a place of unease as Jesus deals with this, this Canaanite woman, the King James Version calls her the Syrophoenician woman, the New Living Translation says a Gentile woman. And uh, here's, here's, here's the scripture being read to us. Let's look at the screens. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So what does, what does that make you feel, or how does that make you feel? Just to kind of allow it to sink in, I'm going to read that scripture again. It comes from uh, Matthew 15. It says, Jesus left Galilee 
He went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A gentle Canaanite woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. You know, I've been reading this verse, as I'm sure you have, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, for decades. And there's just so much in this verse that as you read it, you kind of feel, man, is this the Jesus of love and of mercy and of kindness? What's going on in the story? And, and people have speculated. And the interesting thing about the story is that it's recorded in both Mark's gospel and, and Matthew's gospel. And there's no context. There's, no, there's nothing more than what we've read yet tonight. There's no commentary on afterwards. What, what's, what's going on with Jesus? Why, why, why this story? In the book of John, the Bible tells us that if all the miracles of Jesus were recorded, it would fill hundreds of books. And of all the incidences that took place in the life of Jesus, we get to, we get to hear about this one. We get to read about this one. Why this one? People have speculated about this. What's this about? Just this morning, I haven't heard a message yet, but we have collaborated a little bit. She preached this morning and was online, and, and she was speaking about the fact that, that, that a lot of what Jesus had been through prior to this was the demand of the masses, and he was continually in this combative relationship with, the, with the, the Pharisees who were challenging him in every front, and he was kind of at his wit's end in his humanity, and Jesus' humanity was being made manifest here. And I thought that was a really interesting insight to what's going on, and so there's this kind of the struggle with Jesus of, of, of just embracing this situation because of his, his own humanity, as it were. Some people say that, that the reason what Jesus was doing was he had to test her faith. And, and maybe that's true as well, but I would find it a relatively cruel way to test somebody's faith, to essentially turn around and call him a dog. I mean, that, I mean how demeaning, how diminishing is that? As I've kind of reflected on this, this verse and as I've thought about it, for me there's, there's another thing that's going on here. There's something else. Yes, that may be true. And, and the, as, as I said, the only thing we can do is speculate about what's going on. Why this moment? Why, why this story? Why this kind of brittle relationship between this, this Gentile woman and this holy rabbi? This loving Jesus that we speak about full of grace and power and mercy and all that stuff. So I kind of wanted to dial back a bit, and so I, in a sense I zoomed out, and I realized that, 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 that this place, this region of Tyre and Sidon, it was a 60-kilometer journey. It's modern Lebanon, where, where, where Galilee is, the Sea of Galilee, north of, of Jerusalem, and, um, or east of Jerusalem, really. And, and Jesus would have traveled 60 kilometers to this place. And I'm thinking to myself, why is a Jewish rabbi going into a Gentile area? Listen, listen, racism was alive and well back in that day just as it is today. 
And the Jews and the Gentiles didn't mix. There was no commonality between them, especially with rabbis. Rabbis wouldn't be seen in public walking next to a woman, never mind a Gentile person. And yet Jesus, for some reason, goes a 60-kilometer journey. If he walked 20 k's a day, that's three, k, three days walk, maybe five days walk, depending on how far he walked in a day. Why would he take this distance to go and, and, and have a conversation with this woman? Or was that the reason why? That he had a meeting with this person? Perhaps that's the reason why. He knew it was going to happen, and so he went there. It wasn't unlike Jesus to do something like this. He had done this before. In John chapter 4, we read the story of Jesus who goes through Samaria. Now, Jews never went through Samaria. They would go around Samaria, but they wouldn't go through Samaria because some, the Samaritans were half-breed, half-Jew, half-Gentile, rejected by the Gentiles, rejected by the Jews. In no ways would a rabbi go into, in, into Samaria, but Jesus, we read the story, John chapter 4, it's, a, it, it's recorded for us. Jesus goes into the, the, one of the cities of Samaria, and not only does he go there, but he lands up talking to a Samaritan woman who's drawing water in the middle of the day. She says, she, you can read it, she says to him, when Jesus says to her, give me some, some water to drink, she says, how is it? that a Jew asks a Gentile for water to drink. We don't talk to each other. We separate. We have discriminatory uh, differences with one another. And Jesus begins to unfold to her his mystery, and he begins to reveal his grace to this woman. And, and she, was, she, she had been married five times, and the guy she was living with now wasn't her husband. And Jesus, and she runs into, a, into the town, and she says, I met a man. And the Oaks all thought, oh, another man. But it wasn't that kind of man. And, um, and, and, and Jesus and, and, and the village come out and they, and they hear Jesus. He speaks about, about a fountain that will come from within. Jesus intentionally goes to Samaria. So maybe Jesus intentionally takes a five-day journey or a four-day journey to go to this, this region between Tyre and Sidon to meet with this woman. What? To demean her? To put her down? To, to say that she's a dog? Is that why he went there? Or is there something else brewing? Is there something else going on here? You see, when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was a disruptor. Like Elon Musk. You heard of Elon Musk. He's disrupted space travel. Man, the American space people have been sending rockets to the moon or, or into space since the 50s, the 1950s, that is. And, 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 and Elon Musk comes and he sends a rocket that lands on a, on a boat in the middle of the ocean and recycles them. I mean, he's known as a disruptor. I have a friend who's a disruptor of another kind. If he's walking along and sees a sign and says, do not walk on the grass, guess what he does? He walks on the grass. It's embarrassing. But Jesus wasn't that kind of disruptor, but Jesus came to disrupt the status quo specifically the religious status quo, the racial status quo, the social status quo. Jesus came to disrupt that stuff. His most famous sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, was a sermon of disruption. You know, sometimes we read that sermon, we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they, we read it like with this religious tone. We can't have this sort of special voice that we put on when we read. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, this sermon 
was a sermon that was messing with people's heads. Because he says things like the kingdom belongs to the poor. In their minds, the kingdom belongs to the kings. He says the humble will inherit the earth. No, not in Jesus' day. It was the proud and the arrogant and the forceful that inherited the earth. And Jesus says, no, the humble will inherit the earth. He says the pure in hearts are the ones who will see God. He spoke about those who love justice, who work for peace. They'll be called the children of God. He's, he's, he's transforming, he's changing, he's disrupting social norms, racial norms, political norms. I mean, he, he just did that stuff. He said things like, love your enemies and pray for them. How many of you have had, had an enemy, somebody that you didn't like, and when something bad happened to them, you went, yay? Hmm? How many of you said that when Trump got COVID? Don't say anything. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything, okay? I deny saying it. But, but you know what I mean? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. If somebody strikes you through the cheek, turn the other cheek. No, they grew up with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I have two grandsons. When the one punches the other guy's eye, the other one takes the other guy's head off. I mean, that's, that's, not, I mean, that's not justice, that's revenge. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek. He says, go the second mile. In those days, because of Roman occupation, a Roman soldier could compel a citizen of the, of the country that they colonized to carry their kit for a mile. Under law, they could do that. Jesus says, tell you what, go a second mile. Because the kingdom that Jesus was introducing was disruptive. It was different. It changed stuff. Things that had become the status quo, Jesus was unsettling all of that stuff. If somebody asks for your coat, give them your shirt. Jesus said, go further than what has been asked of you. He said, the thing that defiles you, and it's not what comes into you, it's what comes out of you that defiles you, that messes with you, that contaminates you. He allowed lepers. You see, in, 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 in biblical days, leprosy was a contagious disease. People were isolated. They were sent out. But Jesus touched the lepers and allowed them to, for them to touch him. Jesus did miracles on the Sabbath, a holy day where people did nothing. There were so many laws about the Sabbath, what you could and could not do, and Jesus just bust those laws. He, he broke it. A woman with a menstrual flow would touch Jesus, and he responded to her. In those days, menstruation for women meant isolation for women. That's what it meant back in the day. His reputation was, he was known. Who's Jesus? Oh, he is a reputation of publicans and sinners. You know what a publican is? Uh, Oku owns a pub. That was the reputation. Imagine that. The reputation. He he ate with tax collectors in their homes. He healed a Roman soldier's son. The occupying force, the general, the, the centurion in charge of the, the army, or the force, a army, he healed that person's child. Jesus did this stuff. So what's he doing here in the, in the region of, between Tyre and Sidon with this woman and his disciples and this meal and this woman begging for a miracle for her child? I think it's about disruption. I think Jesus is doing something here that has got something to do with the woman, but got a lot more to do with the disciples and to do with us who are observing this whole affair. There's no commentary, as we said. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. The best we can do is try and understand and speculate a little bit. Maybe, maybe it was because Jesus was tired. Maybe it was because 
you know, he, he wanted to draw faith from her. Maybe all these things are part and parcel of the, of the journey. And yet this woman, she presses through the prejudice. I mean, it's an interesting conversation that takes place because when she starts begging for healing, he says nothing until the disciples say something. The disciples say, Master, tell her to keep quiet. He says, hey lady, why are you bothering us? Don't you know that I have come for the lost sheep of Israel? Don't you know that the food that I have brought is for the lost sheep of Israel? Now listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus is making a very racially charged political statement. Because we know that Jesus, prior to this moment, in other scenarios, had been with Gentiles, had healed their, their children, had spoken to them, been with them, he had engaged with Gentiles. I think I just broke this thing. Are we there? Oh, good. Relax, Grant. So you thought, oh, here's my microphone. So, so, so Jesus, in a sense, is, is contradicting himself to this woman by saying, Ooh, what have I got to do with you? Don't you know that I, as the Messiah, have come to the lost children of Israel? That's where I'm bringing the food. And, 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 and he says, you know, I'm not going to give the food that's, that's for them. And I reckon those guys are sitting around the table, and they're just all looking at each other, saying, yeah, that's it. The Messiah has come for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. Check this woman. She's about to get booted out of here. Jesus, they say, she's bothering us. Jesus talks to her, and he brings this reference. I don't know whether she got the theological reference that Jesus was speaking to, but they did. The guys in the room got the theological reference, and I'm telling you, if their little brains were ticking over, they would have thought, yeah, but Jesus, we have known that you did talk to a Samaritan woman. We do know that you healed a centurion's child. We do know that you have met with people who aren't Jews and you've loved them and you've embraced them and you've given them healing and you've, and you've had interactions with them. Now, now it's all about us. You see, I think what Jesus is doing, and this is just my speculation on the story, I don't know, but I think what Jesus is doing is preparing them for some radical inclusivity. He, he knows that when he's gone, this gospel's got to go beyond the boundaries of, of, of Israel and beyond the Jewish people. That this gospel is destined for everybody. And as this woman pushes through her, the prejudice, as she pushes through this, this resistance, as she comes to the very base of, of what life is for her in that moment, her sick child, and says, yeah, but even the dogs will eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. The tone of Jesus changes in an instant. And he says, dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great, your request is granted. I don't know if this makes sense to you, but I'll tell you what, I've wrestled with this thing and I've kind of figured it out and I'm actually convinced that Jesus was actually preparing his disciples in this moment. He, he had gone on a 60-kilometer journey to meet with this woman to tell, teach them a lesson. And the paradox and the irony and all the complexity that's going on here, but eventually the, the, who Jesus comes out and there's this, there's this complete change of tone. Dear woman, this affectionate leeching, reaching out, knowing, knowing that in a sense, 
She is pioneering the way for everybody who's not Jewish, for everybody who's not loved, for everybody who's considered to be an outsider, for everybody who thinks that they aren't worthy. That woman has just paved the way for all of us to find Jesus, to find faith in Him. I think that this moment is really about this equality thing. I think this moment is really about the radical inclusivity in a world that today is divided upon every possible idea, thought, philosophy, race, uh, nationality. It's just full of division. The, the, the core message of the gospel is come as you are. It's for everybody. For everybody. And the point has been made to these disciples who were very quick to say to Jesus, tell her to keep quiet. Because why did they do that? Because they didn't see value in her. They didn't see why she was a, she was a Gentile. She didn't, wasn't worth it. So she, they were dismissive of her. And Jesus, in a way, plays along. And then the moment comes. And I wonder what the journey back from the region of Tyre and Sidon back to Galilee, how that conversation took place. Because we know from history and from reading in the book of Acts that the church struggled, the early church, the, the Jerusalem church, the Jewish church, it struggled to embrace the Gentiles. And there were massive issues about this. And there's massive issues about it today, thousands of years later, as to about who's in and who's out. We love to have ins and outs, don't we? We want to be in the in. Well, Jesus' message to us is that he's, we're all included. Some of you know, but I have three daughters. And then growing up, I used to tell my daughters, I used to get the one, I said, hey, Jess, don't tell your sisters, but you're my favorite. Serious. They shouldn't have been here. You're the one. And when we were together with her, she would say, this is how it should be, the three of us. And we say, amen, sister. And then she's gone, and Shane is with us. And we say to Shane, Shane, listen, don't tell your sisters, but you're my favorite. Serious. Other two, uh, pain. You, this is how it should be. She feels, oh, yeah, we're in. And then Shane is not there, and then Nikki comes and says, Nikki, you're the youngest, the baby. You're my favorite, favorite. I know I said to the other girls, but don't believe it. You're actually the one. The capacity that God gave me, because I, I was afraid when we were having children, whether I could love the next child as much as I loved the child that was there. You know what I mean? You're firstborn, and you think, cheapest, here comes another one. And flip, will I have anything left for this one? And then you have another one. And then you think, what the heck's going on here? And then somebody tells you how it happens, and then you wake up. No, it's, it's, not, it's a little different today. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You are God's favorite favorite. Jesus would whisper to your ear right now into your ear and say, you're my favorite. And to the person next to you, you're my favorite. You could even always turn to the person next to you and say, you're my favorite. Well, Jesus is your favorite. I'm his favorite. You see, his capacity is to love us all. And that's what this message is about for me. Now, the thing that, the thing that, 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 that agitated me a little further was this, when Jesus says, your faith is great. He says, dear woman, your faith is great. And I thought about this thing about great faith. What's, what is great, great faith? I, when I was, years ago, back in my Bible college days, I was having an argument with a guy, and I said, what happens if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? He said, their faith levels aren't high enough. Have you heard that before, faith levels? I mean, let's say faith level one is like you just, 
like nowhere. Faith level 10, you walk on water just for fun. Where are you on the scale of faith? How many, how many tens here? Just me and Grant. It's called, it's called deception. I don't know where we put ourselves, but I tested the crowd out this morning in Cornubia, and they were very tentative to raise their hands at all, which also made me feel a little disillusioned that they were a bunch of faithless people, but I don't think that was actually the case. We just want to don't remain committed. You know, we, the guy who, his, I had a friend, he was so humble, he had to pray for pride. But, um, but what I realized here is that faith's not a formula. Faith actually, and I've written here, is something that transcends, transcends a linear way of thinking. It, it, it goes beyond, it, it's kind of the difference between 2D and 3D conversations. You see, you can have a, a disagreement with your spouse, you can have a fight with your spouse or with a child, and, and you turn around and say, I'm sorry, and there's different ways to say it. You can say, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. I've done that. I've lost the argument. My wife has cottoned on to that. She says, what are you sorry for? Or I can say, I'm sorry. And there can be a real penitence in my voice, in my tone. And faith's a little bit like that. Faith, faith is kind of three-dimensional. It's, it, it's, not, it's not linear. It, it transcends that. It's mystical. I mean, the disciples, they, they wrestled with this thing in, in Luke 17. I mean, listen to this. See if this makes sense to you. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. In other words, how do we go from a six to an eight? The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. What kind of answer is that? It tells me nothing about how to increase my faith, because I don't think Jesus is talking about how to increase faith, because faith is, is, is something in a given moment. It's a transaction that takes place between you and God. It's grace and faith, grace and faith. Sometimes it's great faith, sometimes it's this faith. Listen to this story, Mark chapter 9. This man comes. His son, just like this woman, is demon-possessed. He says to Jesus, please, can you heal my child? And Jesus' response, he says, what do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I love this verse because it's raw. It's right there on the edge. He's not having a debate with Jesus about who can and who can't and how much faith. He's just saying, listen, my son's tormented. Help me. Jesus says, do you believe? He says, I, I want to believe with everything inside of me, but, but this is the evidence of what I'm living with. You understand this? Do you, what I'm trying to say to you is that faith is not some linear thing. It's, it's, this, it's this encounter between you and, and your God and, and whatever stage of life you find yourself in. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your need is, this woman, her need is great because of her daughter. This man, his need is great because of his son. Romans 10, 17, also it says, faith comes from hearing and hearing the good news about Christ. To me, that just, I've heard, I've preached it, it just has a whole ramification for me. But in, in essence, what it says is that one size doesn't fit all. Jesus the one time he heals a blind guy by spitting in the ground and hope there's no COVID there, boy. Go wash in the pool of Salome. If that was a church, there'd be a church that does spitting church. You know what I mean? 
Jesus spat, we spit. Come. Anyway you want to come, I'll pray for you. Another time Jesus just said go and they went. Jesus didn't seem to have a set method for a set, a set way. It was, it was how we live, folks. Essentially what he did was faith is something that takes me towards Jesus, takes me towards God. Jessica came up with three points from her message and I've improved on them. Um, no, just kidding. I can improve anything on Jessica. Number one, what faith does, is in the, what we see in the story is persistence. A great crisis demands great persistence. It seems as if that faith is given life when we don't give up. What is it that you are about right now that you feel like, I want to give up? Well, it's faith for faith now. This is the time to press in a little bit, to be persistent. It really is part and parcel of the spiritual life, isn't it? <laughs> I often say this. There's a scripture in, in, in the book of Peter that says that our faith will, the trial of our faith is more precious than gold. The question is, would you have a kilogram of gold or a kilogram of trials? Well, Peter writes, he says, the trial of your faith is more valuable than gold. Why? Because it, it brings character, it brings persistence. Secondly, we see with this woman, it's personal. And she wasn't, she wasn't there about to have a debate about, about theology and who are in and who are the out crowd and before and after. She's saying, I have a daughter. I need you. I worship you. I know you can do it. Your reputation has gone ahead of you. And so, you know, I'm here. This is, this is about you and me now. You can make it about these guys. You can make it about bread and Israel and the tribes and all that stuff. But this is about you and me. It's personal. So I love the idea of what we call a personal savior because this thing is about a, a union with God between you and God. The third thing that I think is so vital in this context is perspective. This woman's perspective on herself. She wasn't going to be allowed herself to be demeaned or diminished because she was a Gentile with a bunch of Jews. On, on the contrary, she, she just said, you know, this, my, my persistence and the fact that this is personal, the perspective I'm going to have is Jesus, you can, and I'm and I'm before you. And this, this evening, my prayer is that we would find that in ourselves. We would find that because that is great faith, as it were. That is what it is, because I can't talk about the faith that you need to, to do what you have to do. But I can say this. Let's be persistent. Let's make it personal. And let's get a perspective that comes not from the crowd, not from the guy sitting around the table who find you an irritation. But let's get the perspective from who it is that we're addressing, who we're speaking to, who are we before? We're before this Lord, before the Savior. Richard Raw writes these words. He says, if we are to speak of miracles, the miraculous thing of it all is that God uses the very thing that would normally destroy you, the tragic, the sorrowful, the painful, the unjust, to transform you. Now you're indestructible, and there are no, and there are no absolute dead ends. This is what we mean when we say we are saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Richard Raw is saying that, that this thing that we're living with now, it creates within us almost a, an, an indestructibleness. Not that we can't fail, not that we, will go, that we will just have perfect everything in our lives. 
But faith will, will be brought forth out of the fire of what we're going. And faith is the thing by which we connect with God. And we are known by Him and we, are know, and we know Him. And so this evening as we kind of wrap things up, my question to you is, what is it? What is the miracle that you're looking for? What is the thing that's going on in your life that right now you're saying, man, I don't know if I can do much more of this. What kind of faith is being generated as you reflect this evening? Let's take a moment tonight. Let's just close our eyes wherever you're sitting and if you feel comfortable, kind of put your hands on your lap with your hands, your palms raised. Say, God, I need a miracle. This is personal, Lord. Help me to see. Help me to get perspective. Help me to see the thing through the eyes of faith. Maybe this evening it's you feel like that man felt that I believe and help my unbelief. Maybe all it is is I've tried everything else. I don't know what to do. Maybe it is to try something new. To go down a new road. To knock on a different door. Maybe this evening as you sit here, your miracle needs you to make a phone call. To write an email. Maybe it is to confront a source of great pain in your life. And perhaps you've sat in spaces in your own head and maybe with others where almost like these disciples, you've keep quiet. We don't want to hear about this anymore. Jesus, I pray for each one of us in this room for the things that we're facing, for the uncertainty, for the hurt, the disappointment, the rejection, the unfulfilled expectation, the promise that hasn't been kept, the betrayal. Lord Jesus, there's nobody in this room who's not welcome at the table. There's not one person who is disqualified from finding grace before you. And I thank you tonight, Lord Jesus, that we can be persistent, that we can be personal with you, and that our perspective of you can can enable us to endure and for something good to come out of whatever it is that we're in now. I ask these things in your name, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Alpha on Wednesday. Engage if you want to find out more. And, uh, Pizza, I don't know. God bless you. Bye.